If you're living the days in the life of an ag teacher, then you'll fit right in. I'm your host, Carly Erickson, and I'm here to remind you to do what you love and love what you do. As always, thanks for listening and welcome to class. Today we're going to be talking about the war on weeds. So what are weeds? Are they plants? Are they pests? Well, weeds are a combination of both. Weeds are plants in the wrong place. So for example, if you're growing corn and you find a soybean in your field, that soybean is considered a weed. One thing that we use to combat weeds and other pests is Integrated Pest Management Practices, or IPM. So you might ask, what is IPM? Integrated Pest Management is a system of choosing the best practices to protect crops from insect pests, weeds, and diseases. So now you're wondering, why is IPM important? IPM helps growers achieve high yields, earn more income, and reduce their environmental impact. IPM is based on identifying problems and then applying the best combination of solutions. Pest management practices include scouting in the field to monitor the pests. That way we know as soon as possible if there's a problem. Another great way is to clean off the equipment from field to field to help contain any possible weeds or diseases from the field it originates. Other good management practices are using pesticides only when needed and according to the label instructions. So why is weed management so important? Weeds are the most important pest issue that farmers deal with. Weeds take up space and take up nutrients from the crop plants that they're trying to grow. They reduce yields and can be more difficult to manage. The Weed Society of America says, if weeds are not managed, they can cause up to 50% yield loss in corn and soybeans. Weeds can be challenging for many different reasons. One, because the weather always changes, and we know that weeds can thrive in different types of weather. Another could be herbicide resistance. There's a lot of weeds that are resistant, especially if there is a lack of efficiency in herbicide treatments, we could see higher numbers of weeds. Another way that farmers can help themselves is to adopt alternative or complementary weed management strategies. This helps with the herbicide treatments they're already practicing and then also adding another level of complexity to their war on weeds. Today we are here with our very special guest, Megan Anderson. Megan works for Iowa State University as a field agronomist in central Iowa, as well as an extension field specialist. Megan, tell us about your role here at Iowa State. So as an a extension field agronomist and uh, field specialist for Iowa State University Extension Outreach, I get to do a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, I spend my days, uh, at least during the summer, I spend a lot of them looking at crop fields and looking at problems that farmers have and trying to help them figure out maybe what caused it or uh, if it's a problem that can be solved with some management decision this year, helping them make that management decision. And I get to do a lot of training uh, with like our pesticide applicators as well as put on educational meetings during the winter. Um, so things are a little bit weird right now <laughs> <laughs> during COVID, obviously. Uh, but uh, definitely my special area of interest is weeds. So I'm really excited to be here and talk about them because I often call myself a weeds nerd. Um, 
for sure, definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here. We know you have a lot of field experience, and I know you like weeds, so you're the perfect person. Um, so what would you say, what challenges have farmers faced over the last few years um, from changing weather patterns? Yeah, so sp- specifically in the last uh couple years we have just had uh you know like 180 degree changes in in weather that farmers have been dealing with so on the whole we've been dealing with you know wetter springs and wetter falls uh, which has been a big challenge for uh, obviously crop planting and crop harvest but from the weeds perspective uh, it presents a lot of challenges for uh, weed management as far as getting herbicides applied in a timely manner making sure that we're actually controlling our weeds well, uh, especially because some uh, some years we end up either really cold or really warm. So we end up with different sized weeds uh, at like a typical time when a farmer might want to go out and apply. They either have to wait or or maybe the weeds are, um, are too big by the time they get out to try to control them. And then this year's been especially interesting because we were actually really quite dry early, Mm -hmm. uh, which poses a lot of problems for uh, making herbicides work well, Um, right? So we apply herbicides early in the growing season, and uh, they're residual herbicides, but they require water uh, to work. And if we've got fairly dry topsoils, that means, unfortunately, that in some cases our weeds slipped through before uh, they were... I guess, affected by the herbicide. And then maybe the herbicide works later, but then we have weeds that have made it through early and we have to be out in our fields earlier sure. controlling them. Yep. So yeah, the last few years we've seen really wet conditions, like you said, in the spring, even to the point of flooding. And so how is that affecting different parts of the state? Yeah. So uh, especially uh, when we look at areas that are prone to being really wet uh, from a weed management perspective. That means our crops don't grow well, and that that typically means uh, that our weeds will do really well in those areas. Mm -hmm. And so this year, it's really interesting, you know, if we look at the rainfall patterns uh, and moisture conditions, the western, basically the entire western half of the state is quite dry. But if you look at the eastern half of the state, and especially up in like northeast Iowa, they have been like excessively wet Mm -hmm. on the order of uh, more than 10 inches of rain, maybe just in the last month or so. Wow. Where some areas, you know, not too far west of Ames here uh, have had maybe uh, one to two inches of rain for the whole month. Right. Yeah, that's a big difference. That definitely is going to affect the herbicides that you apply and when you apply them and how they work and all those kinds of things. How do you think that the lack of implementation of alternative crops affects weed management in the field. <laughs> yeah, so we <laughs> so we often talk about I'd say like weeds, like crops. So the weeds that are typically most successful in a particular crop uh, are weeds that have similar life cycles, right? Sure. So if we think of corn and soybeans, they're summer annual crops. We typically plant them in April or May and we're going to harvest them in September and October maybe November in some cases. (laughs) Uh, And the weeds that we have the biggest issues with in those crops are weeds that have similar life cycles, right? Ones that Mm -hmm. emerge around the same time or after we put the crop in the ground and ones that are mature before we come out and we harvest that crop. So some of our biggest weed issues that we have, things like water hemp and giant ragweed, uh, are weeds that match those crops. And so 
if we had some different alternative crops growing in Iowa, in particular ones with different life cycles, um, so if we were to maybe take that cover crop rye and grow it out for seed and we start to introduce some of these different life cycles, uh, first of all, we're going to see different weeds uh, show up as bigger problems in those crops, right? So if we've got a winter annual type crop, we're going to have more winter annual weeds uh, present in that particular crop uh, because they're going to establish earlier. Uh, but what we'll also see is that we're maybe taking a little bit of pressure off of our corn and soybean year with those summer annual crops. So it's just really interesting to think about what things could look like if we could make <laughs> right that like third crop in Iowa successful. Uh, but definitely we have, uh, you know, mostly driven our system to uh, summer annual weed problems by growing only summer annual wheat or summer annual crops. Just in your own opinion, do you think that corn and soybeans is the right crop to be growing? Oh, man, that's a loaded <laughs> question if I've ever heard one. Uh, I mean, it's <laughs> that's, a, that's a totally loaded question. So, I mean, I think that ideally we would have alternative crops available to us, um, in particular ones with different life cycles, right? You know, we all have this kind of uh, you know, this really nice view of the the alfalfa field, right, or the, you know, cereal rye or wheat, right, when those are getting near maturity, they're just beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really kind of a homey historic view. Um, but the problem for most growers in the state is that there just isn't a good market for them, right? Um, but there is a market, an established market, for corn and soybeans. Right. So uh, unfortunately, to get these other crops to be successful, farmers either have to be willing to be the boots on the ground and make their own market, um, or we have to, you know, work backwards from getting a market here in the state and then getting to actually growing the crop. And there's been a lot of work to do that. Uh, but I think on the whole, right, not not every farmer can just go out and, and plant wheat or rye or oats or something and you know, be guaranteed a market for it. And right. We wouldn't want people to do that. Right. Especially if they've been set up for generations to do corn and soybeans and that's what they know and that's what they're good at growing. It's hard to get them to either switch or like you said, find their market. Yeah. And if, and if everybody could easily go do it, right, we would really quickly flood the market. You right. Know, I've talked about this with high school students, right, with the, like the water quality issue. If we look at the list of, of things that could help improve uh, maybe nitrate concentrations in water, right? If we grew alfalfa on more acres, we would drastically reduce the amount of nitrate lost to water. Yeah, but what happens if, you know, every farmer goes out and plants alfalfa on half their acres? Right. Like, what do we do with all of our alfalfa Exactly, then? <laughs> exactly. You know what time it is. It's time for the ag career of the day. Today's career falls under agronomy as an agronomist. According to study.com, an agronomist works closely with crops to develop better methods of production for greater quality and quantity. Agronomists typically work on farms, in the field, or for other crop companies working in a lab. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics says that a bachelor's degree is required and the average salary is $51,294 annually. And that's the Ag Career of the Day. <laughs> So what do you think if farmers continue to cut their costs on weed management strategies, what are the long-term effects of this decision? 
drastic. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the really tough thing in my position is that I talk with a lot of uh, people who want to reduce cost of production. And uh, herbicides is someplace, uh, you know, they spend the money every single year and uh, maybe they get good weed control and they think, oh, maybe I can cut back on that a little bit. Um, so that's a, it's a definite struggle and uh, conversation that I have because the fact that it's not like, um, like a fertility decision, right? That if you decide not to apply some type of fertilizer this year, well, next year you can apply that, right? And, and all you've lost this year is, is some yield uh, mm-hmm. because you can, you can apply it next year. Whereas with the weed management decision, if we cut our weed control costs and by cutting the cost, we end up cutting our weed control, we end up with weed seed, right? And weed seed right. we know lasts for at least several years right. in the soil and will continue to, you know, I say they're going to come back to haunt us in the future. Yes. Uh, because if, you're, if your herbicide next year gets 99.9% control of your weeds, well, that's really good until you have 10 times as many weeds out there and you still are only getting 99.9% control, right? You're inevitably allowing more weeds to then slip through. So we see this like waterfall of consequences happen long into the future, unfortunately. And that's really hard when we have kind of a short term, you know, I need to get through this year mindset. It's really hard to think about those future years. Yeah. So explain to us kind of what is herbicide resistance and why is that a problem for farmers? That's a great question. Herbicide resistance is essentially uh in a plant population, right, there are mutations that happen, right, from generation to generation. The same thing happens in human beings um, and just like all uh, life out there, right? So maybe there's a plant that's like one in a million or one in a billion um, that has a mutation that allows it to survive a herbicide. And it could have this um you know, the population could have this mutation in it and, you know, one plant could survive the the herbicide for generations. But if we never spray the herbicide, that mutation doesn't matter, right? The fact that that plant can survive the herbicide doesn't matter until we use the herbicide. And so what has happened is we get herbicides that work really, really well and we get great control and maybe a plant here or there slips through, but, you know, you got almost 100% control and Maybe in some cases you don't even see the plants, right? If they're under a corn canopy or something at the end of the season, you know, they, like a small water hemp plant, it it could produce 20,000 seed. And I mean, the plant just looks like nothing, right? right? It's it's not causing yield loss. You're just going to let it keep going through. And the problem is, well, it worked really well last year. So we're going to use that herbicide again this year. Well, now, instead of maybe a handful of plants that have slipped through and one was resistant, uh, right? That resistant one has shared its genes with the neighbors. And now instead of one resistant plant, you've got, you know, a hundred, right? And then it just keeps happening from year to year. And so unfortunately what uh, we found is that it takes essentially a, a herbicide control failure for most people to recognize that they have a resistance issue out in their field because it's really easy to say, oh, you know, maybe there's something going on with the sprayer. Oh, maybe the weeds were too big. Um, and we do it all the time, right? Just say, oh, there's all these other factors that could play into it. 
And so that's kind of how this herbicide resistance thing develops. And unfortunately, what we found is once it develops in a field, um, it doesn't go away. <laughs> and then, well, that herbicide doesn't work anymore on that weed, but it works really well on grasses. So glyphosate, for example, we used it, doesn't really work on water hemp anymore, but it still works on grasses real well. Right, so now I'm going to use glyphosate and I need to put another product in to control water hemp. And so now what we're doing is, well, the water hemp's resistant to the glyphosate and maybe the, those one or two survivors, maybe they're now resistant to this other herbicide. Right, so we just see this kind of stacking of these resistances over time in fields because we rely so heavily on herbicides. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's why you're here, because that's your job. Your job is to prevent that all from happening before it happens. <laughs> Unfortunately, they come to you mostly after the fact, once that's they right. realize they have yeah. a problem. But that's why we're here and we're talking about it so that we can get the word out there that we need to work on prevention more than, uh, so, you know, solutions to the problem. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're I, I talk with people a lot about the low hanging fruit, like so on your farm, you know, if you've been getting by with a pretty cheap herbicide program, but you're starting to see more weeds get through, well, maybe your first step is you're going to spend more money on your herbicide program. Maybe that's the easiest low hanging fruit for you to do. So maybe you're going to um, apply full rates when you haven't been applying full rates. Maybe you're going to uh, change it up and choose a different herbicide group. So we're going to look at some different options. There really aren't very many new, you know, there aren't really any herbicide groups that people probably aren't already using, unfortunately. Um, but then we start looking at alternative options, right? If we get out of herbicides, then we have to start looking at things that are a lot more expensive for most people to implement and more complicated. And that's when the conversation gets kind of awkward. These are the things that we do not want to think about having to do uh, on our farms, right? Most people have nightmares about, you know, in the 80s having to cultivate and just thinking like, I do not want to go back to that. <laughs> right, exactly. So talking about prevention and strategies for that, how do integrated pest management strategies help to prevent issues for the future? So like pest, disease, weeds, all the all the pests. Yeah, so with Weeds, of course, were special. So, so we're integrated weed management, mm -hmm. right? IWM, and but with IPM, IWM, all of these integrated strategies are hugely important because um, you think of them as like little hammers chipping away at the problem, right? So, a herbicide, it's been referred to as a big hammer, right? You're just gonna go and you're gonna blow the the problem away with right. the big hammer. Uh, but with these integrated strategies, what we need to do is we need to find ones that complement each other and work well together so that, you know, over time we're layering them and we're making them work together. So we're maybe reducing the weed population to start with. We're reducing the weeds that emerge. And then we're still getting control of the ones that do emerge, but there are fewer of them. So we take some pressure off the herbicide. And so all of them together are just hugely important for longevity of our herbicides and longevity of our crop production, really, right? Because if we totally lose herbicides, that puts us essentially, I mean, we wouldn't really be organic crop growers, but if we can't use herbicides, we are sort of leaning in the direction of organic crop production, which is incredibly difficult on, on any 
type of large scale. So it's hard. Like I said, we have this kind of like one year mindset of, well, I need to reduce costs this year. And some people maybe really do, right? They, they in order to get to the next year, they need to really reduce costs for this year. Um, but for most farmers, I think we really need to be thinking more on this long-term basis. And so unfortunately, some of these things probably are going to cost more. They're going to be more convenient. Um, but it's going to mean that maybe you can use glyphosate a decade from now and have it actually be useful for something or use some other herbicide pro- product a, a decade from now and have it be useful. Whereas if you, uh, you know, if you rely real heavily on it right now, you're just going to burn it out in the next couple of years maybe. Right. Yeah. And like you said, it might cost more right now, but down the road, hopefully it's worth it, you know, and that's right. the goal. Right. Because uh, there's there's always discussion of, well, we need the next herbicide. That's right. going to solve the problem. We need the next herbicide. Well, we haven't had a, a, a truly new herbicide group uh, since before I was born. So in the 1980s. Uh, that was the last time a new one was invented. And so if we are thinking water hemp is the target weed, water hemp is resistant to the most herbicide groups here in Iowa, and we are going to, what, just sit on our hands and, like, wait for this new herbicide group to right. show up when it's been more than 30 years since right. the last one was. I'm hopeful that we will have one at some point in the future, but I don't think we can afford to just, you know, kind of rest and say, well, we're, we're just going to, you know, we're going to use these as best we can right now. <laughs> we're going to burn through them. And in five years, we'll have a new one. I don't think that's going to happen. So I think we need to be thinking about how do we make what works now work for as long as we can. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. Well, Megan, thank you so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to share all of your experiences with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me.